Well, okay. That was minor technical difficulties this morning. That's a half that's a half hour of my life I'll never get back. <laughs> well you're never gonna get back any time. You realize that when people say that, that's like you can't get last minute back of your life. That's true. Can I get this ten seconds that it's taking me to say this back in your life? So you're taking more of my life away that I'll never get back, is what you're saying. You're poking. You're it's poking. Co- it's that's the what coffee. You're doing. It's the coffee. I've had uh my Buddha head coffee cup. Which is pretty big. It's like a jumbo coffee cup. It's probably like two full cups. So I'm on my third one. Oh, so. this is going to get good. Oh. Actually, you know what? This technical difficulty today actually ends up becoming the perfect segue for this article called Try Again. We are on the same wavelength because that's what went right through my mind when uh, we had to hit record again. I'm like, well, we're doing this again, trying again. And there you go. Maybe we subconsciously planned this, James. The unconscious really, really works through us and we don't even know it. It it is responsible for 95 plus percent of our decisions and actions during the day and we don't even know it. So you're saying that the universe didn't like our... B-52's rock lobster segue. I don't think the universe is big enough to say how many people didn't like that. (laughs) (laughs) A universe of universes did not like that rock lobster segue into the show this morning that we didn't record. Welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast, everybody. (laughs) You're here with uh, B-52 Brando. (laughs) I was going to make up some ridiculous inane name, but yeah. And uh, the man from Planet Claire, old Jamesy. Old Jamesy, the bug-eyed squat lobster of the podcast world, old Jamesy. And my uh, googly-eyed fairy crab friend. (laughs) (laughs) And I know you're all thinking, what the hell uh, have these two gotten into today? Well, they missed a whole half hour of... (laughs) Of the pre-show. <laughs> Technical difficulties. This is, uh, this is what we have to deal with to bring this show to you each and every week, people. I know we may come off as smooth and creamy and everything goes off without a hitch, but it's just not the truth. I think we should tell the people the truth so they're not misled. Well, it's, it's kind of like a, an episode of you know, one of those cooking challenge, top chef oh, challenges, yeah. you know, where yeah. it's chaos, 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 chaos. And then they just slap the plate down in front of Gordon Ramsay at the yeah. last second. <laughs> yes. 12 seconds left, and, they, and they're still on the on the stove. Fry, they just threw frozen food I, I, yeah, t- yeah, 12 seconds <laughs> left. The guy's just, crack, he's just <laughs> cracking an egg. Yes. I, uh, I'm always amazed. So a lot of times I just have to turn the sound down because... A, I hate being lied to. B, I hate being lied to, especially by television. And C, the lying has to stop. <laughs> well, listen, I'm not going to lie to you today. And I'm not going to lie to the people today. Don't lie to the people, James. Because you never lie when you're talking about the man who tells the f- photography truth. Good old Nogi Award winning Marty Snyderman. He, he's got a Nogi? He's got a Nogi. Hmm. It's like the, they say it's like the Emmy. <laughs> the old Emmy. Scuba diver. Scuba. I've heard that. And actually, he, I think he has an Emmy as well. Not to mention a huge accolades of achievements. The places his photography has appeared and the pages it's graced. Outstanding resumes. Yeah, yeah. One, uh, one of the photography legends in scuba, if you're not familiar with Marty. he's He's got uh, um, you know columns in... Uh, uh, dive training, which is actually where this one comes from. Uh, but I mean, he's been in Discovery and National Geographic and pretty much anywhere you you would want an underwater photography uh, 
an underwater photo to show up. Yeah, he, he's transitioned through the technology of the digital age. Yeah, decades, like over 40 years of taking pictures and teaching people about taking pictures and writing about taking pictures. And he got the nogi, which I think, my personal opinion, is uh, they should call it the nogi. The nogi, right? Not a nogi. A nogi. I, I want a nogi. And, and then your older brother has to come up on stage and present it <laughs> and just grab you by the, the neck and get you in a headlock and give you a few nogis. Here's your nogi. Say uncle. Say uncle. <laughs> Uncle Marty, say it. (laughs) (laughs) Marty gives everybody a noogie on stage. I I think once you win it, the next year you have to present it. That's a great idea. It's a great idea. Call uh, call the noogie noogie award people. I think uh, I think we are up up for nomination for a noogie this year. A noogie in the the category (laughs) of. Talentless nonsense babbling uh, <laughs> into a recorder. Well, I've worked. I've worked all my life for this moment. <laughs> it's finally paying off. But uh, no. So after you know uh, last week's Kuka adventure, you know I, I was having the thought of you know looking at those photos and, and being excited to get back up there again. You know next year, like knowing that there's a couple of shots that I didn't quite get. That, you know, me, yeah, I rushed, you know, snap in and was cold and uncomfortable and just ripped one off and, and, and hoping. But then looking at it, I was like, oh, this could have been so much better if I would have just paid attention to a couple of these little things, you know? Exactly. I mean, it, I've been doing this for I don't know how long, and I still have that same sentiment after diving, you know, and bringing back the photos and looking at them and, and going, man, I should have done this. I should have done that. I had these plans. And then, again, I'm not trying to make excuses for us up there, but our primary mission up there was to get a bunch of divers in the water, student-certified divers experiencing the ice dive on the Kukai, and and safety above everything. So all of that's going on. The water's 34 degrees, and even if you have heat, you know, electric heat, you're in there. We were in that water nonstop for over two hours each day. So, yeah, four hours and 18 minutes total in water time. So, yeah, two hours plus each day roughly. And it starts to weigh on you. You know, it's like uh, that clock. It's just tick, 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 tick. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, down and up, down and up, quick dives, quick dives, quick dives. And then, you know, at some point in the dive, all you're thinking of is let's get out so I can get my hands heated back up again. You know, so it definitely takes its toll on you. So looking at those photos at the end of the day, you know, being able to reflect on them and go, oh, yeah, like I, I would like to change this around or, or my positioning here would have been so much better. Yeah, I guess it's one thing when you're talking about shooting something like a shipwreck uh, versus it's a different world when you're talking about shooting divers and a shipwreck because now you got to get them to subconsciously interact with you and, and do what you want them to do and then there's also like if you're dealing with like marine life it's it's a whole nother game well divers at least a portion of them uh will follow directions and listen and they kind of can understand the objective yeah we didn't bring any of those with us last <laughs> week. <laughs> no we should not not cut them down. Although we do have to say we had, we had a. Uh, you gave a nice little briefing pre-dive about where you need to swim and get positioned for me, the media man, to 
get a nice shot. Uh, like a, I don't want to say it's staged, but it, it's over an area where I think we'll give uh, a nice view of the wreck, some scale, light the diver up so you can actually tell who the diver is. And they're not just a, uh, you know, a darkened silhouette against uh, the lightness of the surface, that kind of thing. So we wanted to get a nice little photo like that, but I, I don't believe any of the divers uh, did did our little planned routine. <laughs> I don't think any of them did. Bow, diver, hole, all lined up. Brando's going to be right there. It is, uh, I should have had cue cards underwater. Well, and that's when I started swimming around trying to get in front of them and trying to get a, a shot of them. It's like, okay, they're not doing... They're not doing the the shot, you know, the planned, uh, scripted shot. So I'm going to have to work for this. Yeah, yeah. But then, uh, like, we were looking at photos Sunday night in the hotel room. And even some of those, like, you're able to look and go, okay, so when I, when I know that I've got a, a subject that's not cooperating with me, here I worked really hard to do this. In hindsight now, I like I remember going, if I would have just stayed over here right. as, as they swung around, I actually could have gotten a better shot ha- rather than trying to follow them to hurry up and get the shot. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think a great benefit for us or a great thing we need to do is uh, have a Zoom meeting debrief on the photography. And write, take notes for next year. And then have that waiting for us before we even hit the dive site again next year. Because I think it would be huge. It would basically give us a dive up on the whole weekend. Because that's what this, you know, this article by old Marty Snyderman is really about. It's about going down, getting a, you know, taking in all the intel, the info of where you're at and what you're going to photograph and the lighting conditions and whatnot, taking it all in, going topside, talking about how we want to do this, what we want to, what's our plan, changing things up from maybe some shots you've already taken before, and then going and trying again to get those shots, right? There you go, yeah, and we will get a chance to try again next year. And that is the title of this article from the Behind the Lens column of Dive Training Magazine. This is from uh, July, August, 2019. Marty starts off by saying that this month's column features two images. While the subject matter of both pictures is a bug-eye squat lobster, also known as a colored squat lobster and a Google-eyed fairy crab, which is, I, I know what you always, that's what you always refer to is the Google-eyed fairy crab. That would be my choice of names, Google-eyed fairy crab. I usually, I usually call it the, uh, the blinky ball eye pincher fish is what I, is that's what I, he says, I think, he says, I think of the smaller image as a snapshot. And the larger image as a photograph. And for us today talking to you guys, it's going to be the first picture and the second picture. Let's look at what the differences between the two images are and what I did and why that allowed me to make the leap from snapshot to photograph when working on successive days with these diminutive crustaceans. And I, I would say, Brando, that, that's this 
this is what I see so much when people come in after a dive trip and they want to show off a couple of their pictures, you know, to, to us who they just bought this cool camera yeah. from. They're showing off some pictures. What you tend to see are a bunch of snapshots, right? right? I mean, they're doing the two morning boats a day. Some of them might do an afternoon dive or so. They might throw in a night dive. Your typical Caribbean weekend or, you know, week-long dive trip. They knock out a bunch of dives. They cruise around for an hour, snap some shots, and they just get what they get. Some of them are great. Some of them are blah. Some of them are all right. You just don't know what you get. You just take in what the dive throws at you versus where Marty's going to take this. And what we've been talking about is being able to review that image and come back in and get something more along the lines of what you really want to have rather than settling for what you just got. Well, exactly. If you, if, if you could have that, uh, that extra dive or two at the site prior to actually going in to get the photos you want, you know, the photos you have in your mind, be a huge asset. A huge little boost up. He says, to create the snapshot, all that was necessary was to get close to the crustacean, focus on the eyes, compose a frame that did not cut off any important body parts, and properly expose my subject. Accomplishing that was relatively easy, especially because there was no current, and I was able to easily hold my position when composing the shot. The frame you see was the only one I captured before it was time to ascend. And in this first picture, I mean, this is this is a, a good picture. I mean, I've seen a thousand shots like this. And in, in most people's collection, this would be a, a nice shot of a little crab. Or in this case, a squatty-backed, colored, Google-faced, <laughs> bug-eyed, fairy <laughs> crabfish. No, like a uh, 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 bug-eyed squat lobster, right? Right. It's a nice shot, but I think we're going to learn the difference between a snapshot and a photograph. And I think that's ex- yeah, that's exactly where we're going to go, right? Exactly. At the end of the day, that's what separates you from the you know a diver with a camera versus an underwater photographer is being able to come away with the shot that you actually want. That's the art, rather man. than mm-hmm. yeah, rather than with just coming away with a cool picture. That you happened that you got lucky to take, right? Know? Isn't that the art of photography? Is you, totally is, you yeah. have an image in your mind. You have to understand how your camera works. That tool right there—that's a—it's a tool. Don't forget that. Just like scuba gear, they're tools. A lot of people get lost in that in the tools and forget about the craft, the art, and that is what we're really talking about. Is the artist is going to go down, assess, take some snaps, and then use the tools to create that image. And light is one of the tools, you know, the main tool. Yeah, certainly. Right? Right? And, and being able to have the time to, I guess when you're a new diver, you just want to have as many different dive site names in your logbook True. To, show, to show your rich history and experience. Pick up chicks I think at the, the bar. And pick up chicks at the Does bar. Does that work? Exactly. Does that really work? I don't know. <laughs> oh, it works oh anymore. yeah, yeah. No. I usually keep two or three uh, copies of logbooks, you know, stacked upon each other, stacked upon each other at the at the at the dive pub. I've tattooed my logbook down my forearm. Smart. I was going to say my my technique. I think is the tattoo down my forearms, and I just wear short sleeves, and it's just my dive log. So I just sit there, 
put my arms up on the bar and let my arms Wait, do you, the talking. Did you really? Is this true? You you went to sixty nine feet every single dive. <laughs> <laughs> it was my sixty ninth dive. <laughs> I didn't. I did know a guy like that. My my old buddy Paul. Every every dive in his logbook was sixty nine feet. <laughs> <laughs> How old was Paul? <laughs> um, but, but I think like isn't it true I, I would say that the more experience that you get as a diver and uh, and especially you know somebody that's trying to craft their diving it's not about just getting more dives it's like really getting into a specific place a specific site to learn it to understand it to capture it the best way possible and that takes multiple dives on, like we've been, you know, saying for a couple of years now. And instead of like just knocking out four different shipwrecks over the weekend, let's just go immerse ourselves in one and, and do it really well. Yeah, I mean, from a, a videography slash photography viewpoint or standpoint, dude, that's the way you do it. You you just spend a couple of days at the same site and and I like the term you used, immerse yourself in the environment and really learn it. And then you can start to, your mind will start to work towards what's a great, what is a great photograph here? Where's the art here? Where can I bring this image back to the the land lovers? And they'll go, wow, that's amazing. And it really is telling the story of that, that dive experience. Yeah, I, I guess it's... Um... You know, like anything else, the more you do it, the better you're going to get. You know, if if we just started shooting a bow and arrow at a target out in the backyard, you know, you might get close on a first couple, but the longer you sit there with it, you know, eventually you, you, you learn the wind, you learn the distance, you learn the feel, and before you know it, bullseye. You know, and I think there's a little bit of that with the camera. Like if you go down, you, you shoot a bunch of shots, and then that night you sit there and go through them, look through them, could have done this, should have done this, let's try this, and then you go back the next day. The chances, yeah, the chances of actually getting it, and let alone you do a third day on it, it's it's bullseye Friday. Well, now, you, I mean, you're, you're just getting at the tip of the iceberg of becoming a, a quote-unquote photographer, a real photographer, as we would probably say. Yes, you can go down and you got that learning curve when you get your camera, right? And it's a pretty nice learning curve when you first start. You're learning big things rapidly, so there's great changes in your photography. And then you, like anything else, just like diving, just like any endeavor, you plateau a bit. You get to this point. You're really happy with yourself for the moment, but nothing's getting any better you're plateauing or the the improvements or the changes are very very subtle and you may not even be picking up on them and you'll be there plateaued for a while long time yeah the better the better you get the shorter the climb is in those plateaus and the longer the longer it's an asymptote i I keep bringing that asymptote word up but you never actually reach everywhere we go i can uh, my life is an asymptote (laughs) you you can you can make an asymptote out of anything well you know what they say about asymptotes is (laughs) they make an ass out of emptopes and and me Anyway, the the idea, like you say, when you you gave the archery uh, analogy, you hit the target finally. You're like, oh great! You fire off a few more. Well, you miss target. You hit a bullseye. You hit miss target. But this is you know analogous to the to the plateauing and the asymptote. 
is eventually nearly every freaking arrow you throw at the the target is bullseye right right exactly uh, nearly everyone or you're starting to see like you're off 0.01 micrometers you know that kind of thing <laughs> yeah and um that's if you have a you know a steady fixed indoor target range you know if you're outside right and and the wind the wind changes the sun changes so the lighting changes let alone now if you're you know with a camera and you're trying to capture that moment and then underwater where there's so much dynamic change on a dive in, in there it's a it's a lifelong quest yeah it kind of filters out those who who really love the art of it and those who are just clicking a button with their finger and it starts to weed them all out and the masters you know the true masters kind of sort themselves out they just continue and continue to practice and improve albeit subtly as you can you know as you get to a certain point it's very subtle improvements but yeah, that's that. That's what the true master is. They and they learn that they can grab that camera almost anywhere, and from their experience, they have a better chance of getting that perfect photograph quicker. And that's why professional photographers would get paid a lot of money. You know, they pull it off without a hitch. Our perfection. Yeah, yeah. That's why they are the pros. Yeah. Marty says, within seconds of reviewing the image, I recognized a number of things I could do to create a far more compelling image when we returned to the same site. Set it on fire. Fire is usually captures the eye, right? <laughs> Fake background. Put a filter on it, an Instagram filter. Look at how beautiful the complexion is on that. This would look this would look great with May with Mayfair. <laughs> yeah. I, I just love those filters where they look like they're not even human. They look like a painting almost. I think that would be cool with a googly eyed fairy fish. How'd you get that sepia tone camera underwater? <laughs> exactly. He says First, I wanted to find a bug eye squat lobster that was surrounded by negative space. All elements in photography other than the subject that would help enhance my subject's appearance as opposed to the rather uninteresting substrate in the snapshot. Like meaning like he wanted a shot that the, the background wasn't so busy, right? That, right. That, that the eye got like lost into other things. Right. So he enjoyed the, that bug eyed squat lobster, but if he had one that was in just a little bit of a more neutral background, it would have really made this thing pop much better. Oh yeah, your your focus would go on the the subject versus when it when the the background is busy, it diverts your focus a lot, you know, and that's that's something to think about. So you have to find ways to now. Just saying this, James, you're, what do you think of as far as taking a picture, taking a photograph? How would you diminish the background, the negative? I shouldn't say background, but the space outside of the actual subject, the negative space. Well, um. Knowing what I'm learning now, and I, I think this is where Marty's going to go momentarily, is there's also playing with that depth of field. Yeah, the aperture definitely right. uh, will affect that. You get a nice fast lens and a, a, a slim focal plane, depth of field, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, you can blur out that background, blur out the foreground. The following day, I located a bug-eyed squat lobster living in a hole surrounded by an orangish encrusting sponge and instantly decided to work with this subject and the surrounding negative space. And that's the one we see in the second photo. 
He says, in my frame from the previous day, my squat lobster's eyes were partially blocked by other body parts in a manner I found distracting. When composing the follow-up shots, the second change I made was to be sure there was a clear path between my lens and the squat lobster's eyes. That provided to be a significant improvement. So he shot it head-on, looking straight at the face of our uh, bug-eyed friend here. Right, rather than like on a three-quarter view on the first right. one. Yeah, in the first one, and folks can't see this, but basically you can see the arms and you can you can kind of make out uh where the eyeballs would be but they are partially obscured uh but it's just the arms poking out really i mean you can if you know what it is you can tell what it is whereas in the second photo this looks like more of a you know a portraiture photograph of of someone right in this case it's the bug-eyed fairy fish or googly-eyed fairy fish right and when you're when you're playing with that depth of field, you know, depending on what you're shooting, it's going to have an effect on you know that portrait style of everything up close being in focus, and then fuzz everything out behind. Well, yeah, that's the you know a portrait photographer. One of their most powerful tools is that depth of focus, that focal plane. That's why usually you have to use a pretty decent lens. In other words, it's got to have a a low f-stop number, okay, which is a large opening in the aperture. What that does is it slims down the focal plane. So very little in the foreground is in, in focus, and then, yeah, and very little in the background is in focus. Your focal plane is the subject. Everything else is blurred, and the blurring it's called in the background is called a bokeh, and that bokeh is what kind of I mean that the blurring gives you an idea of the environment the subject is in, so it can still evoke a mood. Yeah, yeah, like you can you can get your uh, you know high school senior photos you know out in the forest, right? And you can tell you're in a forest, but you can't see really any of the trees and leaves because they're all they're all out of focus because it's a portrait it's a portrait shot yeah right and that, and that what that does is it doesn't draw your eye to that background but it does say to you this is where the subject is at so it does evoke a you know there's some meaning to the environment the subject's in versus just a a black gray whatever high key low key mid key kind of background or worse yet everything's in focus and it's just such a busy shot you you, you yeah, don't know what you don't know what you should be looking at there you go it's a snapshot that somebody just pointed a camera and, and got him framed up a bit and didn't look at any of the the tools of the camera or what that camera could do and just took the shot marty says the third change concerned my depth of field even though i used an aperture of f20 when working from such close range with a with a macro lens, right? My depth of field was rather thin. The end result was that with the animal's claws extended forward as they were in the snapshot, I was not able to get the ends of the claws and eyes in sharp focus. Yeah, now that, now when you start talking macro, th these are the, the uh, roadblocks, the obstacles you run into with macro, is that even at a very tiny aperture, which is a high f-stop number, He's shooting at F20. That's a tiny little opening, okay? And so on a, on a regular 
lens, not a macro lens, if you were shooting regular, that tiny little opening, especially like on a wide angle lens, everything from foreground to infinity would be in focus. And with a macro shot, even uh, even at those high f-stop numbers, which is a small aperture, the focal plane is still ultra thin. And it's always that way. And that's what you run into. When you squeeze down the aperture, you restrict the light getting to your sensor. So what do you have to do to make sure that your sensor can still record an image? Well, you need to either change your external lighting. You need to change that shutter speed. Shutter speed and your ISO is another way. Right. So you can make your sensor more sensitive. But the problem is you give up quality, image sharpness. You, you, you get that noise introduced uh, with the higher ISOs. And then the shutter speed offers a different kind of compromise. You're working like a shot like that. I don't know what his focal length is, but I'm going to guess it's between 50 to 100, somewhere in there on most macros. I got a 100 macro that I use. So that's a, that focal length is, is on the telephoto side which means your shutter speed has to increase. With telephoto lenses especially, the any camera shake you get is super amplified. So you got to jack that shutter speed up just to get rid of camera shake. Otherwise, the whole thing would be blurry. It'll get blurry. You'll, because, you'll notice uh, it. Yeah. Even the most steady hands. When you, when you move your, your finger on the shutter button, it moves the camera. And even the, on a DSLR, the... Um, the mirror flipping up and whatnot, that all moves the camera. Although minutely, if your shutter speed is too low, it'll get that movement. You have to balance that now. Now, you've, with the macro shot, you're going to need a high shutter speed to keep it steady because you're in a telephoto lens. Most of these macro lenses are in telephoto size or focal lengths. Yeah, and then the faster the shutter speed is, the the shorter amount of time that shutter's yes. open, so the more light you need to have. Yeah. That's why you've got to get, you know, a couple of strobes or a couple of, they use snoots and snoots basically focus the light down to a very small area and you can get different diameter snoots for video lights or even strobes, but they'll, they'll concentrate that light and focus it very tiny on your little tiny macro subject. Yeah. Macro is all about just sitting still waiting for the animals to do their thing. And then you really got to work with the camera settings to get it where you want it especially when you're dealing with these little tiny little critters yeah yeah i mean i mean some of these shots that you'll see in these magazines of these like pygmy seahorses and these nudibranchs you know that are as small as your pinky nail you know uh, uh, that that look like these huge enormous sea creatures you know that that is some dedicated time and awareness to be able to get a shot like that captured. Exactly. And then we start talking about the diving of, you know, diving with a, a people that are doing macro is like, shoot me now kind of thing, right? Because mm-hmm. they're, they're just going to sit and look at this little tiny thing for, you know, an hour of, of the dive <laughs> and, and, you know, fuck with their camera here and there and try to wait for it to crawl out of its hole or do something that will capture that moment. Right. It's, uh, it takes a dedicated person to be buddied up with, with that photographer. Exactly. Now we're getting into the dive team aspect of underwater photography. You've, you got to watch each other and you, you know, it's a totally different type of diving than just, yeah, let's go down and explore. Yeah. Versus, you know, the, like we were talking about earlier that, that snapshot diver who just were cruising along the same reef and, uh, oh, hey, there's a, there, there's something cool. Click. There's something cool. Click. 
Right. Point it, shoot it. Yeah. Camera's probably on auto. So trying to move into, you know, photography like this, especially as a dive team, you almost need like two divers shooting the same style, working different ends, you know, different sides of that coral head that you're you're dealing with right there, right? It becomes a mission, yeah. And, and you know, two, three, di- three person dive team on those macro shots might be nice, uh, but the people have to work together well. Now, here's a question for you. Jamesy, would you rather work with uh, people as your subject or a fish or a marine creature as your subject? Am I asking too soon Boy. from uh, the, the past weekend working with people? <laughs> yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. They both can be very frustrating at times. Yeah, not trying to make excuses or anything, but I think people were just glad to be ice diving. That when they got in, they completely forgot the posing, the, right. the photography aspect of it. Well, for them, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was overwhelming. I mean, and this is what you generally see in an ice diving class, like like we're running, is it's dive three before they even fully realize they're under the ice on a shipwreck. You know, and and they can really enjoy themselves. I mean, dive one is a is a throwaway. They're just yes. generally so overwhelmed with with everything yeah. that's going on. Uh, they they barely can follow any direction. You get out of the hole. They they absorb. It almost was good that the weather got so bad on Saturday that they had that whole night to to absorb it all in, which made for a really good day on Sunday. But but yeah, you you've got to be in that right mental place to be a good subject for a photographer as well. It's not just swimming along a dive site and getting your picture taken. It's it's posing, it's knowing when to breathe, it's knowing yeah. when to when to <laughs> it's knowing when yeah. to exhale. Right, there's a lot going on if you want to be a good subject. Oh yeah, that's why I've got a lot of shots of you. I don't. I've got a couple other divers too that I, I believe are are good divers and good subjects. But a lot of people, um, it's hard to to express to them. Like, listen, I don't want your face in, in covered in bubbles. This is not the look I'm going for. Right? I, I can see shots where you'd like to see the bubbles. You know, it, it it gives a little bit more of the action and the right, sense yeah. of being underwater on scuba. And but I like those like a wide shot and the bubbles like two feet over your head, but the divers clean. You know, right, right. And then I don't want you looking like a monkey in the water. So you're not vertical. You don't got your fins on the bottom. Ideally, you don't even look like you're swimming. You look like you're just floating there, and that's what you should be doing, right? Right, especially if you're you're the subject for sure. So then you you start talking about the buoyancy control that needs to be mastered. And the hardest thing that we ask students to do that is really difficult in the beginning, especially stay still, just stay still. Don't move. Now, some students and and some subjects, you know, you can shake your fist at enough or, (laughs) or, or pull out some wet notes and communicate the Marine life. You're going to have a hard time, you know, talking, Talking to oh. Mr. Googly Fairy Crab <laughs> and, and getting them to do what you want, you know. So yes. it's a give and take, I guess. And that's what makes getting the cool marine life shot that much more epic. valuable. Yeah. Epic. Exactly. It's uh it's hard to get a lot of times. Marty says, When I had my follow up opportunity, I waited until the squat lobster poked its head out of its hole and its claws dropped down, putting the animal's arms and eyes essentially the same distance from my lens. 
This meant if I focused on the squat lobster's eyes, the arms and claws would also be in focus. Waiting for the right pose, a factor I paid close attention to, made a significant difference. And that's something that a lot of new photographers wouldn't even know how to conceptualize. Like that idea of, you know, once his claws drop, both of these will be in focus when I hit that shutter. Well, that's 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 coming from a man who knows his tools, knows what they do, and knows his subject. In other words, knows the underwater environment and the, the sea life under there. So all that knowledge and all that experience is coming into play. And that's one of the things, you know, almost if you take a photography class, I don't know if you have yet, James. If, if you're going to, let me know. I'll take one with you. I love taking them. Um, no matter what level of class you're taking, uh, there's always something to be learned. But um, that's one of the first things they say as far as becoming a good photographer, the things you must do and know your subject. Know your subject, man. You know, I do that with the soccer. I, watch my, I look at my old soccer pictures because I didn't know soccer. I never played soccer. I didn't watch soccer. As a matter of fact... Flying around in the C-130 as a medic, and if you came to me and said, you know, in a couple of years, all of your time is going to be at a soccer field taking <laughs> pictures of kids playing soccer, I would say, uh, you are on dope. You're on drugs, man, because that'll never happen. But within a few years, that's what I was doing, and I look at those old photos, and, and I didn't know the game. Yeah, of course, so they were little kids, too. Yeah, so you're yeah. always out of position. Yes. I'm not where the action is. I'm always yeah. trying to move around oh, to they're, it. And they're running down there. Okay, yeah. I guess I'll go walk down there. And then by, exactly. by the time you get down there, they're, they're running down to the, the other side. of bitches. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so. but you got you to gotta know the game if you're going to uh, photograph the game. Know the things that the kids do. I mean, start watching them. And there's usually a couple characters on the team that do you know some fun stuff, make for great photos. Anyway, along those lines, take that same philosophy underwater. Know your subject. Know the environment. Know the lighting in the environment. Know what your subject's probably going to do and where it's going to be. That way you can position yourself. You can have your camera settings where you want. You can bring the whatever lighting you need. Right, because if you're going to try to take a photo of a, of a critter fish that hates bright light... <laughs> You know, sitting <laughs> sitting in front yeah. of that hole with two video lights blaring down in, waiting for it to come out, that's gonna make for a really bad dive. Right. So when we look at dive when we look at photo two there, Brando, this just goes to show, you know, what he means about all of that being in focus. I mean, all the little spiky hairs on the claws, the eyes, all the different colors that show up in, in contrast, the the oranges and the pinks and the blues and the greens. I mean, it's a really a beautiful shot put together. Yeah, I've worked worked in there with that uh, very thin focal plane. The background is blurred, really creamy, smooth, and the very in focus body parts of this uh, bug eyed fairy fish imposed on a um, a very smooth background you can still tell they're peeking out of some kind of coral encrusted rock type thing but it's really a much better photo 
Yeah, but on the on the first one, right, you can see all the texture all around it. You can see all the grains of, you know, sand and and particle and just the, the roughness of that area that it's in versus that next one like, like when you said creamy that's, that's that that creamy matness to uh, to that background yeah huge difference in in what you end up having in front of you as a photograph right it really is a portrait photograph of this yeah. underwater creature the difference right there is a great example of how to take a photograph versus taking a snapshot and that's going to come from experience and patience and willing to re-examine yourself and try again. Try again. Yeah, you have to go back in. And, and we talk about this all the time. Is It would be so great to just spend you know, a four-day weekend on one wreck. Not, not go and do one wreck, go do a couple other wrecks for four days, and then in a couple months or the next year, we go back to the same site, and you're trying to regurgitate everything that you hopefully learned. You never really debriefed after. So- you go down and basically starting all over again, and then you'll leave and go, I wish I had a couple more dives. Right, exactly. And then the next year you do the same thing, and the next year you do the same thing. Versus, you know, and Marty closes off this article by saying, here's the takeaway message I want to share. By reviewing my original snapshot, thinking of how to improve on it, and then trying again, I was able to succeed at creating a more compelling photograph while on my next dive. The way to improve is to study and critique your initial results. Look for shortcomings and strive for solutions. Yeah. Well, keep, keep, keep on keeping on is basically it. So you got to jump back in those same sites. I mean, you can go to another site, but now everything's different. The subject's different. The lighting's different. It's a whole new photographic mission versus I'm going to just stay at this site and knock out a couple of dives which we keep saying we're going to do. And we may have had the chance this last weekend, but when you've got, like I say, you've got a bigger mission of students, student safety, divers, diver safety, and getting you know shots of them, you don't really have the time to uh, go fuck around and experiment with different photography techniques, right? Right. But if you're on vacation down in the Caribbean somewhere, and there's the... Yeah, there's the dumpy house reef out in front that you know they take everybody to do their little skills check at the beginning of the week and make sure everybody you know is is comfortable before they take them out on the on the bigger, more pristine dive sites. I I guarantee you that there is one coral head at least out there on that little house reef that if you went out there every day and snapped a couple of shots, went back to the room, reviewed them. Right by the end of that week, you're gonna come up with a killer shot of of that green moray sticking his head out of the the yeah. the old tire that you won't even be able to tell that it's a tire on the, on the picture from the fifth right. day. Right, exactly. And then when people are looking at it, they're gonna go, "Wow, where'd you get this one?" They'll never believe you that it was right there, you know, right off the dock, right on the the little, the little dumpy little house <laughs> reef. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the benefit of uh, being able to get in and and work your camera and try different things and reevaluate, go back in and change things. I mean, I've I've said it before, even here in our freshwater mud holes, you know, which does not offer a fraction of the marine life and color and vibrance that the ocean does, right? It's it's very earthy tones, 
green, brown, aquas. There's some dark aquas. Anyway, the long story short is there's not a lot of color. Am I right? Uh, right, yeah. So it's difficult to make something right. really pretty. But if you just keep doing it and keep doing it, keep changing things up and try different things with your camera, learn your camera. Learn your camera, man. Study other photographs, other photographers' work. And try again, everybody. Well, very good. There's no that excuse, was James. There's no little... excuse. I'd hate to interrupt <sighs> you because I just wanted to say one more thing. There's no excuse in this day and age. If you have a digital camera, there's no excuse not to become a decent photographer because film is cheap. You've lost that obstacle. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, you've got thousands of photos that you can take on one card, which is re- replenishable by reformatting it after you download those photos uh the the print is right there on your computer screen you know so you can you don't even have to pay to get those thousand pictures printed to see which ones you actually like they're all right there for you 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 can review over and over and over and over again so much stuff if uh if you're dedicated to the craft of getting something more of a photograph instead of just a snapshot if you're tired of having just a snapshot of something, this is how you get it. There you go. So you just got to try again, everybody. Thank you once again, Mr. Uh, Marty Snyderman, for another fantastic uh, photography article. This was good. Um, I, I know uh, the people out there send us messages. Uh, that they love when we do photography stuff. So I hope you guys get out there and get some cool underwater photography um, based off of this episode, if you do get one of those magical shots that you take multiples of, hey, send them on over to us. We'd love to, to see how spending time and trying again with your camera and your subject uh, allowed you to go from just a snapshot to a true photograph. So send those our way. Uh, Brando, should we sign some logbooks on this one? Uh, let me sign. Let me see your logbook. Uh, yeah. Mermaids are waving. Waving to mermen. Raven Sea fans, seahorses sailing, dolphins wailing, rock lobster, <laughs> down, 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 boys in bikinis, <laughs> girls with surfboards. Here we go. All right, everybody, we will see you next week. Safe diving.